Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is June the 20th, and our chapter for today is the great chapter on the new covenant, the Berit Hadashah. It is Jeremiah chapter 31. I want to begin reading and get right into this because Jeremiah is the only prophet that really spells out the new covenant. And God used Jeremiah in so many ways, but no way greater than the great prophecy of chapter 31. At the same time, says the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. Israel, when I went to give him rest. The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. Everlasting love. That is the love that God has for Israel. That is the love that God has for us. It is undying. It is unflinching. That doesn't mean that he excuses anything that Israel did. We'll see that in this passage. He doesn't excuse anything we do. We have to stand before him, give an account. When we have been wrong, we have to repent and turn back to him, confess our sins. But God is a God of chesed. This is what verse 3 says, Therefore with loving kindness, that is the translation of the Hebrew word chesed, I have drawn you, I have pulled you, I have wooed you. Aren't you glad that God doesn't give up on us? Aren't you glad he didn't give up on Israel? If he had turned his back on Israel for what they did, then he would do the same thing for us. But we have the great assurances through the words of God and through the experiences he had with Israel that he is faithful. He is faithful. Again, I will build you and you shall be rebuilt. O virgin Israel, you shall again be adorned with your tambourines and shall go forth into dances of those who rejoice. You shall plant vines on the mountains of Samaria. Now, let me just stop there with verse 5. Let's get the context. I am taking for granted you understand the context of the prophet Jeremiah. I have dealt with him over the last couple of days. But Jeremiah was the prophet that was left in Jerusalem during the days of the Babylonian exile. Remember, there were three phases to that captivity and exile. In 605, Nebuchadnezzar, fresh off of victory from Pharaoh Necho at Carchemish, having just in previous years had captured and controlled the capital of the Assyrians in Nineveh, modern-day Mosul. He had then finished up the battle, and now he has come to Jerusalem, and he has taken all of the blue bloods, the elites of that culture and society of that day. He took away Daniel, Mishael, Hazariah, 
Hananiah. He had taken them away and given them new names and had castrated them. They had become eunuchs. And as you know, the story of Daniel, you can read about that. That is contemporary with Jeremiah and what's going on here. As you'll recall, Nebuchadnezzar set up a puppet king and basically said, you will do my bidding or I will replace you. Well, he had to come back in in 597 because there was rebellion in the house of Israel against Nebuchadnezzar. All the time, Jeremiah was saying, don't do this, don't do this. And God gave Jeremiah a word to write a letter, which is recorded in the book of Jeremiah, to all of those in exile in Babylon, in Mesopotamia saying, you need to pray for the city. You need to get involved in the life there because you'll be there for a period of 70 years minimum because God has ordained this is what it's going to be. You did not observe the sabbatical years, 70 of them and for a periods of hundreds of years, and you have sinned against God, and you're going to have to stay there for 70 years. And indeed, that's exactly what they did. Ever how you counted from 605 to 535, that's 70 years. I count the captivity as far as the true exile from 586 to 516. That's 70 years. That is from the destruction of the temple, the central worship center, the great edifice that Solomon had built down to 516 when Zerubbabel, along with the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, Zechariah, when they rebuilt and built the second temple and dedicated it in 516. You say, why would you say 605 to 535? Because 605 is when the initial phase took place. And after Cyrus' decree in 538 that the Jews could go home, it took three years to gather enough Jews to go back from Babylon, where Jeremiah told them to settle in. Only 50,000 came back, including the servants. It took them three years to 535 to come back, settle in enough to begin the temple. So in 535, enough were back to lay the foundation of the temple, which had been destroyed. And so that's why I count that as a possibility of the 70 years, because that is how long it took for the people to get back in the land and, yes, be in control, so to speak, of their own destiny to build the great worship center, the second temple. So Jeremiah is saying to a people that are exiled, God's going to bring you back. This is not the end. Aren't you glad that it was not the end for them or for us? And he says, you shall plant vines on the mountains of Samaria. And that is where Jeremiah lived in those mountains of Samaria. He lived in the tribal area of Benjamin. And even though he was from the priestly tribe, he was exiled, or his ancestor was, in Abiathar out to Anathoth, where the priestly village was. It was a priestly village, very much like in Karim around Jerusalem. And these were outlying areas. And so Jeremiah was very familiar with the mountains of Samaria. And after the captivity and after the exile, 
God said, I'm going to bring you back and everything that's been destroyed there, it's going to come back. Now, this is interesting because after the Jews came back into the land, they once again planted and so forth. But after 70 AD, they were cast out of the land. Certainly, that was so after uh, Hadrian and uh, Bar Kokhba revolt of the 130s. And so for 2,000 years, even though there were Jews in the land, the hills were barren. And as a matter of fact, in the 1800s, Mark Twain, when he visited there, said it was a wasteland. Well, God said, when I bring you back into the land to stay, you will plant vines on the mountains of Samaria. I can tell you I have eaten grapes. I have drunk wine from the mountains of Samaria. Yes, I have drunk wine from the mountains of Samaria. I'm not a big wine drinker, but I can tell you this much. It was the best wine that I ever put in my mouth. I'm not a wine connoisseur, but I wanted to drink some of the wine from the mountains of Samaria, just like Jeremiah said. So I can tell you that exactly what Jeremiah predicted and Jeremiah prophesied, it came to pass. It always does. It says the planter shall plant and eat them as ordinary food. In other words, it's going to be just commonplace. It will not be some big deal that God has been faithful. For there shall be a day when the watchman will cry on Mount Ephraim, Arise and let us go to Sion, to Zion, to the Lord our God. For thus says the Lord, Sing with gladness for Jacob, and shout among the chief of the nations." Proclaim, give praise, and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them from the north country. I will gather them from the ends of the earth. Among them, the blind and the lame, the woman with child, the one who labors with child together. A great throng shall return there. And indeed, by the power and name of God, our great God, he has brought Israel home. Yes, once again, on the hills of Ephraim, now they are planted and they are building uh, new cities and villages. Shiloh, where Joshua divided the tribes. Many of you I've taken there and you have gone there and studied and walked and you've marveled at the wonder of our great God. They shall come with weeping, with supplications I will lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in a straight way in which they shall not stumble. Why? Because I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the isles afar off, and say, He who scattered Israel will gather them. Yes, God is the one that sent them into exile. Yes, God is the one that sent them into this last exile in all the nations of the earth. But the God who scattered them is the same God who will gather them again, and that's what he did. He said, I will keep him as a shepherd does his flock. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and ransomed him from the hand of one stronger than he. We've seen that. We've seen it down through the last 2,000 years, how God has kept Israel in the midst of great anti-Semitism and persecution. Therefore, they shall come and sing in the height of Zion. And I have heard them. I have seen them on the heights of Zion, all over Jerusalem and the area that's called the Jewish quarter, which is high up on the western hill. I have seen them dancing and singing. I've seen the young children playing, the old men sitting and talking, just as God said that they would. God is faithful, streaming 
streaming to the goodness of the Lord for wheat and new wine and oil for the young of the flock and the herd. Their souls shall be like a well-watered garden. The blessing of agriculture will return to the land. And all you have to do is come with me to the Negev, to the Southland, to the wasteland of Israel, to the dry place. And you'll see that it is blossoming as a rose, getting ready for the Messianic era when it will exponentially be spread out all over the Negev and will become the breadbasket of Israel during the days of Messiah. And the scripture says that God will do all of this. Then shall the virgin rejoice and dance and the young men and the old together. Listen to this, for I will turn their mourning to joy and will comfort them. I'm so grateful to God for that, for the Jewish people and for us. He said, I will sababa, I will satisfy them. I will satiate their soul and the priest with abundance and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, says the Lord. It is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Don't ever forget that. I used to hear pastors and they would talk about the judgment of God. Is God's judgment real? Yes. But what we need to understand is it is the love of God that draws us. You can only threaten people and cause fear so much. But there has to be a drawing with loving kindness, a drawing with chesed. The Apostle Paul says, it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Thus says the Lord, this is a very familiar passage from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. This is where that comes from. A voice was heard in Ramah, in Ramah lamentation and bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children because they are no more. And that was the infants and the toddlers that were killed by Herod, the butcher, who was a schizophrenic, paranoid king. Thus says the Lord, refrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for your work shall be rewarded, says the Lord. He says that to us as well. And they shall come back from the land of the enemy. Verse 17, there is hope in your future, says the Lord. Do you hear that today? There is hope in your future, says the Lord. Not in your own strength, not in the strength of your family, not in the strength of your riches and your bank accounts and your portfolios, not in your company, in your career, in your family tree, not in your education. Your hope and my hope is in the Lord God. Our expectation is in him. We have nothing in ourselves that will give us hope. And if you're trying to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you're going to fall over because only God can raise one up. He says, I raise up one, I put down another. Promotion doesn't come from the north, the south, the east, or the west. It comes from God Almighty. He said, I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself. You have chastised me and I was chastised like an untrained bull. And here's what Ephraim says, restore me and I will return. For you are the Lord, my God. Surely after my turning, I repented. And after I was instructed, I struck myself on the thigh. In other words, he disciplined himself. This sounds like the apostle Paul in first Corinthians chapter 11, when he says, if we would judge ourselves, we wouldn't be judged. If we would confess our sin and repent, God wouldn't have to deal with us. But uh, often we have to have the disciplining hand, loving, disciplining hand of God upon us. Surely after my turning, I repented. And after I was instructed, 
afflicted, I struck myself on the thigh. I was ashamed, yes, even humiliated, because I bore the reproach of my youth. Is Ephraim, my dear son, is he a pleasant child? For though I spoke against him, I earnestly remember him still. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. This is God talking. I will surely have mercy on him, says the Lord. And then in verse 21, a fascinating passage. He says, set up signposts, make landmarks, set your heart toward the highway, toward the way that God has laid out. Set your heart. See, that's where it all begins. Out of the abundance of the heart speaks. Guard your heart. For if you guard your heart, you'll understand that out of it will come the great issues of life, the great decisions of life. The way in which you went, turn back, O virgin Israel, turn back to these your cities. How long will you gad about, O you back? Sliding daughter, for the Lord has created a new thing in the earth. A woman shall encompass a man. That's for another day. Verse 23 Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, they shall again use this speech in the land of Judah and in the cities. Once again, out of Rishon Letzion in the 1800s, the late 1800s, a man by the name of Ben Yehuda. Revived the ancient language of the Hebrews and created modern Hebrew based upon the ancient Hebrew alphabet. And he added vocabulary words, and they're still adding vocabulary words, but it is the ancient Hebrew. Once again, they are speaking the language in the land. He said, when I bring them back from their captivity, they're going to do this. The Lord bless you, O home of justice and the mountain of holiness. And there they shall dwell in Judah itself and in all its cities together, farmers and those going out with the flocks. That is, there's going to be those who are shepherds and those who are going to be involved primarily in agriculture. For I have satiated the weary soul. I have satisfied the weary soul, and I have replenished every sorrowful soul. After this, I woke and looked around me, and sleep was sweet to me. Very quickly, because time's running out. Verse 31, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant of Berit Hadashah with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke. Though I was a husband to them, says the Lord, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law not on tablets of stone, but I will put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And then he goes on to say, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. Now, we need to understand just a couple of things about this. First of all, there was nothing wrong with the old covenant. It was not the old covenant. It was not the law. It was not the instructions of God that were bad. It's the people didn't keep them. But the law was never given. The Torah was never given to save anyone. Never designed. It was never designed to be a means of salvation. The law was given, the instruction was given to show believers how they ought to walk, followers of God how they ought to walk. But Israel broke the law before Moses ever got down from Mount Sinai. But God said, I will write in their heart. And it's a heart change that I was looking for. And that's exactly the purpose of the law was never to save. The purpose of the law was never to keep commandments because we could never be good enough and do enough good things and keep enough commandments for God to save us. No, it was to show us his way 
way and how miserably we fail at it down through the centuries. And so God said, I will never forsake Israel. I will never forsake those that I have saved. Very quickly, verse 35, thus says the Lord who gives the sun for a light by day and the ordinances of the moon and the stars for a light by night, who disturbs the sea and its waves roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart, listen to this, for those of you who believe God is finished with Israel, listen to this, verse 36. If those ordinances, which he just talked about, the sun, the moon, the stars, the days, the evening, the morning, all that he put in place. If those ordinances depart from before me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me. And that's a rhetorical statement. And all of us know that that's never going to happen. Thus says the Lord, if the heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, if you can do that, I will then cast off Israel and all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, says the Lord, for all that they have done. No matter what they've done, God in his great mercy, no matter what sin they have committed, just like you and I, God is greater than all of our sin. His grace, his love, his mercy, his chesed is greater than any sin you've ever done. Rejoice, beloved. God sees you. Turn to him with all of your heart and God will forgive you. It doesn't matter what you've done, but you've got to repent. You've got to change your mind, your thought patterns, your life, your direction. And when you do that and seek the Lord with all of your heart, then you will find him. For On the Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCRISP.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.